You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill and I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Beasley, Adam Jones and Gav Buckland for another bumper show. We've been saying it ever since the season finished but there really isn't a dull time when it comes to yeah. a football club right now this minute. The season may be over and Frank Lampard's side may be on their holidays but there is still plenty going on at Goodison Park and we have some pretty big news to discuss this afternoon as I'm sure we're all aware by now. Talk continues that Farhad Mashiri could potentially sell Everton Football Club to an American-led consortium led by Peter Kenyon. We'll be getting the reaction from all three of our panel this afternoon on that revelation that dropped last night. We'll also be looking at the transfer window and the links continuing with James Tarkovsky and Richarlison potentially heading to Spurs. Is one room that we saw over the weekend. And we'll also finish up by touching on Billy Bingham, who sadly passed away last week. But there's only one place to start. And as with the big news that dropped last night, that Farhad Mashiri is potentially in talks with a US-based consortium overselling Everton Football Club. It was a pretty, pretty big bombshell news story to drop. The Telegraph first reported it. We obviously backed up it with what we understood. And Adam, I'll come to you. In terms of developments that we didn't perhaps see coming, this was right up there, wasn't it, with, with, with the very best? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I think it was just the close proximity with with how... Uh, how soon it was after Mashiri put out his open letter to supporters, and he, you know, yeah, as 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 we were talking about on the podcast uh, last time, we were we were saying just how good it was to see him, you know, admitting his mistakes and reaffirming his commitment to not making the same errors in the future, and you know, reaffirming his commitment, to, well, especially financially in terms of the stadium, but not just that for uh, the rest of the running of the club as well. So to see uh, reports that he's in. Positive talks. I think I've seen it described uh, in some places uh, towards selling the club. It does come as a little bit of, of a surprise, just with the timing of it. Now, I, I think in a wider sense, you can probably understand the reasons why Mashiri would entertain at least, you know, exploratory talks about this. You know, he's he's pumped a lot of money into Everton and not got a lot of return. So, you know, he's a he's a businessman at the end of the day, and if he sees an opportunity for him to maybe recoup some of his losses that he's made and and move on and he and he thinks that that's the right time then you know i can i can understand why uh, as a businessman he'd he'd explore that option but uh it just seems it just seems a bit of a weird time as a as a as a club to be to be going through something like this you know after what was a season of such turmoil so many changes uh at, at loads of levels at the club you know right through you know the playing squad, the backroom staff, even at boardroom level, there's been huge changes as well. So to to come into a summer where all we wanted was, you know, maybe a little bit of stability, uh, to have to have these sort of reports come in and you know, and maybe threaten that sort of stability, it's it, it it's it strikes me as a little bit strange. But I think it, I think it's worth clarifying that you know we don't know how far 
these talks have gone. You know, the, the the term positive talks, I think, is deliberately, you know, quite vague, isn't it? You know, you, you, a, a positive talk could, could mean literally anything. Like they, they've maybe had an opening chat about something and they found one sort of level of common ground. That that could be that could be absolutely anything. So I don't, I don't think it should be read into too much uh, at this stage if I'm if I'm perfectly honest but you know we're, we're, we'll have to see what the you know the coming days and weeks bring I'm sure there'll be more developments on this sort of scenario but I, ju- I just think it's it well from a club standpoint I think it's a I think it's the timing of it for me just seems a bit weird these you just wrote a piece that's yeah. on, on the echo site as we sit here now on on this afternoon and even tomorrow's paper. Yeah. Sources close to Farah Machini refusing to be allowed to sail. Mm-hmm. The issues and an old comment to his, his good friend Jim White yeah. um, when he was approached by him earlier to, earlier today. Yeah. This all kind of looks like it's leading more way, doesn't it, Bees? That he isn't he is genuinely interested in selling the football club. Yeah, I think it is a, a possibility now, as much as it twenty four hours ago, it would have been a shock to to most of us if if his old pal Jim's even getting the, 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 the no comments. Um, yeah, in all seriousness, no. Um, yeah, there, there, there's been opportunities for today for people in the Mashiri t- um, camp to, to sort of knock this one down. Nobody nobody has, um, as, as, as I understand it. Obviously, um, we've heard in the past that um, Mr Mashiri's been looking for um, external um, investments in terms of getting the, the stadium completed um it's a phased uh, funding model and these paid for all the uh, the initial work to actually get that site uh, basically so you can build a stadium on it he, he's funded that himself in addition to the, the the tune of about half a billion he's already spent on the plane squad at everton but it seems it would seem in these um, various discussions he's had with potential um investors in the stadium and just people about coming into the club that some talks of of um developed into the uh, the prospect of a sale as adam has said um at this stage it doesn't mean that there's anything imminent uh, um in any, in any way but um what has happened is that they would seem that these like i said the talks have developed from just potential investments to the idea of of, of, a, of an actual um takeover and he may seem that the, the time is right now obviously we've heard about all those losses due to covid this year and Mr. Mashiri keeping on the right and all these losses with his, his continued investments. We're just an interesting time. And really, I think it's not just sort of surprised ourselves and the, the general Evertonian public, the, the, the fan base, but maybe people even in, inside the club are just wondering because not only, as Adam mentioned, less than a week after he reaffirmed his commitment to the club, I mean, it seems obvious that these talks must have been going on before he made that statement. They've not, they've not happened like over the weekend since he said that, and we've got to this stage. And also, the prospect of, of the, um, that stadium, which I understood, you know, won't be jeopardised regardless of the ownership. Any new owners would have to factor in the cost of that. Um, that in two years' time, there's actually the prospect of him making an, a lot more on the club he was to sell if once the new stadium is is up and running. So it's it's, it's curious timing, but like you say, never a dull moment. The reports on on Monday evening from the, firstly the Telegraph and then backed up by others, including ourselves, revealed that Peter Kenyon was front in the consortium. It included chief executive of Minneapolis-based talent real estate, McKee Kaminsky, and American businessman John Thornton, as it's taken advice from U.S. law firm. Well, Gotzel and Mag- Magnus, along with investment specialist Michael Clean, 
Graph, these talks, the, the reports, and everything else that's come out with it, in terms of where you sit now as a, as a fan more than anything, what, what are your thoughts when you read, you know, who's the consortium type figure looking to buy clubs? Because we've seen this before in football. It's becoming the new kind of trend, isn't it? Consortiums buy football clubs, not one individual. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't know whether I'm attracted by the fact that there's somebody called Thornton who might take over the toffees or not, you know, but... Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it, it reduces everybody's risk, doesn't it, for a start? Yeah, I mean, the growth of American capitalism. I mean, there's two types of owner now, isn't there, really, in football? We're getting to it's either Middle Eastern ownership or American capitalism. This is this is in the latter, and they're both coming from different directions in terms of what you want from your football club. So it's just, the amount of Americans' involvement in football now is, I wouldn't say worrying, but they will be for a different type of football going forward, won't we? Because that's where the money's to be made. You know, if, speaking as a fan, an attraction of some sort of American ownership is growing Everton in, in the United States for the start. How you do that is a different kettle of fish, of course. Um, so in terms of the the, the group that Kenyans front fronting, it's part of wide descendant football, which is slightly worrying, but you know, I, I that's just the way it is. In terms of changes, the owner, if it happens, well, I just think, do you think that far? I was waiting to the end of the season to see whether he stay up, stayed up or not before, before you know this, this announcement. Perhaps, as you say, they've been talking for a while, yeah. but maybe those those the publication of those conversations were waiting until we secure Premier League safety. So, so that that's me. My other thought. But, and the third thought is really, if you're talking, if Farad wants to keep his £600 million investments and somebody's got to fund the stadium worth £500 million, it's over a billion quid for Everton, isn't it? So it's a lot of money for a club that really has spent most of the last decade in middle ground in the Premier League. And that, that's that's the other thing, and it'd be interesting to see what Farad actually takes for the the club. I know obviously won't take the one point one billion, um, but uh, that that's that's the other thing. I mean, do you think some of this is maybe because obviously we've had all the, the USM stuff and sanctions and all this? How much his personal wealth is worth? Perhaps he wants the, the liquid cash. You know, maybe that's come into it, but it just seems an enormous amount, enormous amount of money for a club that's a middle. Midland Premier League club that's got very little opportunities for growth, even allowing for the stadium. And I find it baffling. I'm not saying so. And it's just not a criticism. I, I personally find it baffling why somebody would want to invest mm. a lot of that, that amount of money in Everton because I don't I don't know where you get the return. Uh, to be honest with you, unless as I say, unless it's part of the American capitalism view of football and there's an increasing number of owners. They have different plans for the game than what we we have at the moment. That's the only thing you can think. And it would be interesting to see how this plays out within the bigger football picture. Because you've got you're getting this friction at the moment, aren't you? I think going forward between Middle Eastern clubs from the Gulf and American capitalism, those two things are may fight against each other. So there's, I think there's a wider football and context to this, isn't there? Really. 
the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I think in terms of, you know, where Everton find themselves, it was reported that talks at a relatively early stage were head to terms already in place. Obviously, Gav's mentioned there what Farhad Mashiri values the club at. Do you think that's a fair valuation, or you know, do you think you were with Gav in terms of it's very, it's a lot of money to pay for a football club that could potentially offer very little in return? Yeah, I, I think, I think generally, like I'm probably a little bit naive in the, in these sort of in these sort of terms, but generally, I just don't know. Like, if I was a billionaire, I probably wouldn't be in a, invested in a football club. I, I don't I don't understand where anybody's getting the return out of it to be honest. So especially for to be you know as Gav rightly says you know for for a club like Everton who've been you know stagnating at best shall we say over the course of the last decade, uh, you know with years of that as well uh, to 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 now go on to. I just don't. Yeah, I think I'm with Gav. I just, I just don't understand where, where any potential investor is going to be seeing uh, any sort of huge amounts of return on 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 what they'd on what they put in. But you know, there, there must be there must be some money in it, like surely because you know they, we keep seeing the owners of these football clubs just seem to get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And I've seen you know a lot a lot of conversation across social media over the last 24 hours or so has been, you know, around the, the model quandary around these billionaires and how, how they make their money and who they relate to and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I've seen a lot of, a, a lot of people saying, Oh, Everton shouldn't be looking for these owners. They should be looking for these owners. And, Oh, there's not a perfect billionaire out there. That, 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 that's just the wider problem in football, isn't it? The, the, like the, the fact that, Football has got to this point where you know you can you can bring up these legitimate questions about you know any sort of billionaire that's going to be buying your club. You know, it, it, I just think it's it's getting it's getting to the point of ridicule at this point. You know, there's just far far too much money in the game, and obviously that's not going to change. Like I think we've we've well passed the tipping point in in this sort of sense, but it, it, it's just fast. It's it's just fast accelerating even further out of the. Out of the hands of the fans who are meant to be the lifeblood of these of these football clubs, and it's just it's it's just in the control of these of these wealthiest of the wealthy at, at this point. And you know, I, I just think you know it, it, it pains me to have these sort of these sort of discussions, and you know, it pains me to see supporters go, going on about these sort of discussions about which billionaire should own their club. It's just it's, I, I just find it. I just find it really, uh, really disheartening, to be honest. So, yeah. Sorry, sorry to have a, a little negative impact there, but <laughs> <laughs> genuinely, yeah, I, I just find it sad. These one important aspect in the piece that you you wrote today for the yeah. Echo is that you know to sort you the sources you spoke to close to the club are adamant that regardless of the ownership, yeah, the completion of Randy Mordock should not be compromised, and any interested party mm-hmm. wishing to buy the Blues have to factor in the building costs and. Yeah. The stage they haven't up to 
it's absolutely vital, is it, that if Armagee does walk away from the club, things are put in place that Bramley Mordock is completed, yeah. completed when it's meant to be completed on time because Everton can't let this slip away from the fingers, can mean and let politics or potentially anything else get in the way of Bramley Moore being yeah. built and playing football in there. Yeah, that, I mean, I mean, I think that's going to be a big concern, isn't it, over these past 24 hours with the supporters and this just co- coming out of the blue. Is, is the stadium. We can all see it actually physically emerging in front of our eyes now. Great progress has been made and it's coming up to a year now, isn't it, next month that since he got on site and now it's been converted actually from, from a dock full of the water that was drained with all the the, the uh, fluidized sand it was called and actually the, the um, foundations are complete now we've even got the uh, four corners in in place so yeah they, they did they've always seemed relaxed to be fair on that on that score I mean it still remains to be said whether Farhad Mashiri remains in control and if he can't get this what is seen as a perhaps high price for the club they you know he may he, he may have to obviously he'd have to stay if the price isn't right I mean you do wonder with the timing has it come out because there have been other reports saying that there could be up to four interested parties is the timing at the moment as odd as it seems is that to try and flush out other potential um, bidders I'm not sure but um, yeah they do they they insist that they're comfortable over this obviously there's the deal in place with Lango Rourke that Denise Baxendale got in place there where so they don't have the problem that Tottenham Hotspur had in terms of escalating costs, which is, a, to be fair, that can't be sniffed at at the moment, given that all our, our household costs are obviously uh, skyrocketing in, with the inflation over the past year or so, everything going up 25 to 50%. It's a major issue in terms of the steel for the construction. So um, they have... they've. Uh, They've done the best to allay our fears on that respect that, you know, the stadium is continuing on schedule and that, you know, any interested party would have to factor that in. And that that that, that would be a major, I think, reassuring factor for, for most supporters because it's taken so long. It's overcome so many difficulties so far in uncertain times. You know, a, a global pandemic, which had football played behind closed doors for the first time in 130 years. Um, the fact that there was a breakaway Super League mooted for the for the the, the, um, the big six. I mean, it's, it's overcome all these obstacles, significant obstacles, and <laughs> for it to fall because of some in-house power struggle, for want of a better word, or some takeover bid. That they're, they're insisting that, that 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 won't come into play, and that would be reassuring because you know that's going to be a big thing for the for the value of the club going forward. Um, it will make the club a lot more attractive and a lot more um, va- valuable um, in, in the very near future, which just makes it even more intriguing, I think, really, that if Mr Mashiri is looking to to, start, to sell now, why, why it's come out, and as, as it's been mentioned already, was it already very much in the pipeline, but has been um, put back by um, the, the uncertainty over the club's Premier League future, because if they were no longer a Premier League club, then he wouldn't be getting anywhere near this amount, would he? And it'd be a, a much harder sell um to go through with so you know it it, it, it is uh, intriguing over the, the timing of it all but just makes you um wonder just how long this has been going on behind the scenes and of course the the, the break with his longtime business partner mr osmanov because of the the russian sanctions uh could also ultimately have played a, a big part in his thinking on this score gav peter kenyon is shown frank lampard on all well from the time of chelsea hmm. you imagine they've you know cross paths in their time 
you know, post Chelsea, even since you know, the two and not being involved this time, but big club. But if you're Frank Lampard sitting there right now and you know you're reading these reports and, and these you know rumours about the potential sale, what what are your thoughts? Because obviously you know the transfer window is is in full flow. You know, he obviously looking to do business, there's been multiple reports on how many players he wants to bring in. So if you're Frank Lampard now, are you sitting there nervously thinking, well, this this is not what I need as I try and you know put together a squad that doesn't have the club in a position that has spent a large part of last season and, and that's one fight relegation. Yeah, uh, uncertainty and instability at the top of an organisation is is never great, is it, really? Um, in terms of the assurances you want as a manager, it may take a given Farhad's, shall we say, reputation for meddling in the past. Our lack of Farhad meddling in the summer may be taken as a, you know, as a benefit. Yeah, but just generally, that at any sort of time, we're trying to do business at the moment is on certainty at the top of the shop. Absolutely. It doesn't help, really. Uh, and I think, you know, so the big, I'm just, I know we're going to talk about selling players. There may be a player that Farhad might say, well, I'd want to sell him. Maybe somebody else might come in as an owner. Like, we don't want to sell him, you know, because he adds value to the brand or whatever. It, it's, it, it's, it's in, it's, it's, yeah, it's a conundrum, isn't it? Really, uncertainty doesn't help, and I'm sure Frank is Frank is aware of that. But he'd want some assurances about that. This doesn't affect our transfer plans for the summer, which you hope have been well, well, well developed since January. But, but as you say, this doesn't help. It doesn't help in terms of trying to think in cash coming into the business. You know, if you've got to fork out a cash amount for somebody, well, who's gonna? Pay that cash. Farhad wants to go, so yeah, it doesn't doesn't help both financially and in the decision making for the for the for the manager. At, at the same time, it's in Farhad's best interest if he wants to sell to have a good transfer window as well, doesn't it? Really. So yeah, but yeah, it's it's a it's not it's not for me personally. I, I as, if I was Frank, I'd be a little bit. Weary about what, what's going on. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adam, I think the big thing, and Gav touched on it there at the start of, of his piece, in terms of the evidence of football club, the uncertainty this will bring won't help, will it? Because, you know, we've just enjoyed one of the worst seasons. I think we can all remember, you know, the Blues survived by the skin of the teeth. You know, okay, that night at Goodison Park, I think Crystal Palace was fantastic. But realistically, Everton shouldn't be in that position where I'm just celebrating and do things, you know, celebrate just about staying up. So, in terms of the uncertainty this now brings, it's just another another worry, isn't it, for some Evertonians and people at the club as well? Because, you know, a new owner comes in, new chief executive potentially comes in, possibly Peter Kenyon, changes are going to be made. And, and again, things will be start to rip up and more uncertainty and people won't know what, the, what lies in the future. Mm. 
I mean, it'd just be nice to have, you know, at, at least just like two weeks where it's just quiet. <laughs> now, like, I don't think that's a, that's so much to ask, is it? You know, everybody's on holiday anyway. Why can't we just have like two weeks where, where something just doesn't uh, whip everybody up into some sort of anxiety? And, you know, this is, I think you're spot on. It, it does create a, a certain amount of uh, confusion over, over what's going to happen in the future. I think, you know, Gav's... Gav's quite right in the in the sort of quandary that uh, Mashiri does find himself in in terms of his spending over the course of this summer. You know, if he's if he's going to sell, you, you'd 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 think to him, oh, he, he might he might want to keep as much money as he possibly can and not and not spend loads in the, in this window. But on the flip side, it is it is it is in his best interests to see Everton have a good window and then progress into the future. If he doesn't, you know, secure this sale soon and. You know, maybe he wants to sell further on in the future or something like that. So, yeah, it, it's just yet another period of uncertainty that Everton, Everton do find themselves in. And I, and I suppose you, know, you can never predict the future, can you? You know, even in the uh, even in the most ideal of circumstances, you know, that something something can always come up. You know, uh, akin to Carlo Ancelotti just up and sticks and leaving uh, last summer. You know, the, you know that was that completely came out of the blue doesn't it so as i say even in the best of circumstances perhaps you wouldn't be able to tell what's going to happen in the future and you know we've seen we've seen a lot of Everton supporters uh call them for you know sort of sweeping changes at the club and you know there, there might be some supporters who think that this is the right thing for the club to have these sort of that maybe have this sort of period of uncertainty have these sort of sweeping changes and see where that takes you in the future and I, I I don't know about it personally. I, I I just think I just think a period of stability and a period you know where you can have you know at least let the the, the manager and the director of football you know get their get their feet under the table first and you know actually assess what's going to happen in the future because at the end of the day it's it, it's the fortunes on the pitch are, are what we are what we all go and watch the match for, isn't it? Like we we all that's what that's what. That's what we all care about, as you know, as people reporting on the club and you know people supporting supporting the club. You know, everybody just cares about them results on the pitch, and you know that's going to be uh, highly affected by the kind of work that Lampard and Thelwell are going to be able to do over the course of the the uh, coming weeks and months of the transfer window. And if there's a period of you know instability and uncertainty over the course of the coming weeks and months, whether you don't know whether. Machiri's going to be in a position to invest, or this and that and the other. And it's generally, it, 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 if ever Everton just didn't need this sort of confusion, I just think, I just think that's now. It, it, it just, it, it would just be so much better to have this sort of period of stability for now. You know, we've we've been saying it for on podcasts for uh, I feel like weeks now. Just let the manager and the director of football do what they were brought into the club to do. Trust them to do that job, and you know, see where that, see where that takes the club in the future. But you know, if that, if that's going to possibly be affected by, you know, however many changes there'd be in the boardroom or an ownership change or something like that, then you know, it, it's just going to create so much confusion that I just, yeah, I, I think Everton could could really do without that at the minute. I think as well, bees, isn't it, in, in the terms of you know a potential sale, and if it, if these talks were to progress into something more concrete and you know, an offer was made, etc. Mm -hmm. These things take time, don't they? They don't just happen overnight and there's yeah. a process that they've got to follow and you know, things have to go to the Premier League, etc. So this could be a really long out drawn process, couldn't it, for Everton and, and the supporters because 
it's not just going to wake up, not going to wake up one more never or a new a new yeah. owner. This will take time, and and that time is, is precious, isn't it? When you think that Everton's campaign is not that far away from starting. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was reading a um, piece today from when uh, Farhad Mashiri took control of the club in spring 2016. Um, Bill Kenwright actually said that um, it, it, it'd been looking at it for two and a half years before um, he actually completed um, the takeover and became majority shareholder. He said he had to get a feel for the club first. And uh, um, Mr Kenwright was saying that Mr Mashiri actually loved the club by this point, by the time he actually taken control but you know that was two and a half years down the line from when he'd initially been um approached so yeah it, it could it take time like said and like we said um given everton's uh precarious predicament and that they uh they finished this season with the lowest equivalent points total in the club's history um joint with 2004 when they also finished on 39 points um they've not got much um scope for, for sort of stagnating and waiting to see how it goes they it's imperative that they do improve this summer. They do make the signings they need to um, to improve that league position um, for next season. Because um, if, if you sort of uh, leave it to its own devices, or you go backwards, and then you know, there's, then there's a genuine potential that you're back in it. Could actually go down next season if you don't get the, the investment right this, um, this summer. So yeah, it's a crucial time, and it could it could it could linger on it. Um, Maybe the, uh, these other groups will come in. Uh, they've got wind that uh, Mr. Mashiri is willing to, to sell up now. So other interested parties um, might come to the table. And as it's been said already, they might not always be palatable um, to, to the, the fans' tastes. Um, I think the days of, uh, I think Jack Walker is possibly the, the, the last great local owner, you know, a, a, a lifelong um, fan, a local lad made good who was able to. Um, make the dream a reality for for his, his team. Whereas now, who are these people? Why are they coming in? They're not coming in because they, you know, they stood next to Bill in the boys' pen um, back in the day, watching Davy Hicks, and they they're there because they're hard nosed businessmen who want to make a book um, at the end of the day. So it, it 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 it's an intriguing set of possibilities at wait at Everton, and it's not necessarily. Palatable. I mean, who'd have thought we'd been saying this a week ago after all that had been said about Mr. Mashiri's ownership and the mistakes that he's admitted to over this past week, and there've been there've been many over those six years. Is it almost a case of better the devil you know? I dare say in that for all the mistakes he has made, we don't know who's coming in at this stage. We don't know what they're going to do. Or what sort of approach they're going to have? I mean, it could they could come in a, a clean sweep, and it could be a lot more efficient. It could end up being a lot better, but you just don't know. I mean, you could say it could, couldn't get much worse, or sell them as a club spent so much to, to, to get so bad. But you you just don't know um, what these people what these people want to do, and the, the way they're going they're going to um, go about things. Um, also, um, before I finish, there, I think it's interesting now, Mr. Mashiri is as he's attended very few matches. He's never been a regular at Goodison, but the fact that he was never back there after the, the Watford game back in the autumn, you just wonder whether the, his interest has waned. He's thrown, he's thrown so much money at it. He's sort of been like Randy Lerner, end up at Aston Villa. He spent so much money trying to bridge the gap with the top four, and he, he found out that no matter how much he threw at it, they weren't getting any closer. So it gets to the point that I'm not going to put any more into this. And... Um, Time to, to rein things in. You, ju you just wonder whether he's coming, maybe a bit naive, thinking that uh, I'll, I'll, I'll 
sort of spend a few quid here and Everton will sort of be um, up there with, with the best of them. And he's found it's a lot more difficult than that, given the, the way the sport's structured to protect those who, who are in those positions of strength at the moment. Gav, just to finish on, on the takeover on the takeover stuff and, and, and where the, the line currently lies, sometimes a chain of events can perhaps lead to something that you can picture. And is it safe to say that this year, in terms of the chain of events, in terms of, you know, Michelle, he's not being visible at games. He's not being. He's not watched Frank Lampard's side and never team under yeah. Frank Lampard play live. You know, it took so long for him to release a statement after the season finished. You know, the, when a statement come, he kind of admitted his faults and okay, he stuck. You know, he stuck his neck out and was committed to the future, but it was kind of very PR. Yeah, PR spun, wasn't it? Do you think? Do you think? We've been leading up to this kind of moment now. Do you think events have, have led to this where we find ourselves? And like B says, this has been coming for a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To be fair, if I'd seen us against Watford, it would have been a long time before I. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, he, he, he missed the first goal that we scored as well. Did he? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you'd you'd wonder. We've obviously had all the trouble in Ukraine and all this, and there's just probably got different priorities as a consequence of that. Yeah, there's no. It was perhaps his little farewell note to supporters. I do think one thing about the time and as well, and it, it is to do with the chain of events, Connor is. I'm just wondering whether he was spooked by our allegation fight at the end of the season, knowing full well if we'd have gone down, he would have lost 80% of his mm-hmm. investment. And I'm just wondering whether he's thinking, I don't want that to happen again. And, and, and he's probably thinking, actually, we may improve the team, but there's a possibility that, that may happen again next season. So I want to avoid that. I want to pres- preserve as much of my investments as possible. And I think in the chain of events, that the allegation fight is probably within there as well in terms of his thinking, because I think it spooked them. So, yeah, the, 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 the signs of being there, the lack of communication, the lack of attendance at Goodison, we know that he's, he's had other bigger things to think of. Is 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 no switch, you know, apologising and let's leave it at that. So perhaps the clues have been have been there. But as Chris said, these these things can take time, can't they? You know, so maybe back again at the start of next season for all we know. But yeah, there's you can see you can see little signs, can't you, over the last six months. Adam, away from all the, the talk of takeover, and as expected around this time we uh transfer window gossip is in full swing one rumor that did emerge over the weekend was richardson to tottenham a surprise club entering the, the race for the brazilian they can offer him one thing that is champions league football but the numbers that were talked about around that deal just simply don't add up for everton do they they if richardson does the position part they'll be wanting a lot more than what tottenham reportedly were prepared to pay for him yeah uh yeah i did see these reports over the weekend and i did see a lot of you know Everton supporters maybe getting hung up on the wrong thing, and they were debating you know whether Richarlison would get into the Spurs team or not, and blah blah blah. And you know that that doesn't really concern Everton, does it? Like I don't think that's that's the point of all this, is it? It's no, as you it's a it's as you say it's the it's the price that's that's getting mentioned, and you know I think there's a convert to about fifty one million pounds is is apparently the yeah. rumored price that that, that has been muted in some of these reports uh it's just not enough <laughs> it's absolutely just not enough uh you know obviously Watford have got a sell-on clause and uh, they get 10 percent of anything over 40 million 
that uh, the Everton will recoup well or would potentially recoup from any sale of Richarlison. So that's got to be factored into uh, of all of this as well. But like, let's be honest, uh, Everton, let's say Everton paid forty million for Richarlison four years ago. How much better of a player is Richarlison than he was four years ago? I'd say he's hugely better of a player than he was four years ago. Uh, I, th- I think he's one of the most, if not the most influential player in the Everton squad at the minute. And that that with it should command a very sort of hefty transfer fee if Everton are to let him go. Uh, I, I'm not accepting this this point that, you know, because Everton have, are in you know some sort of financial trouble that they should accept a lower price for him. Don't don't accept that at all to be honest i think they you know if any if anything that should that should highlight their need to get as big a price as possible for him because he's he's one of our most saleable assets so we can't we can't be seen to uh, letting him go for what would be perceived on the cheap we need to we need to try and command the best fee possible and you know as we've seen with uh, Tottenham sort of negotiating negotiating strategies in the past uh, they're not the kind of team that's going to overpay for a player. In fact, they they much prefer to underpay uh, for for most of their transfer targets. So that's the thing that kind of sticks with me about Spurs' potential interest. I don't think they'll be willing to pay the kind of money that Everton are going to want. And I don't think that Everton should budge from the price that they want, uh, especially for the financial position that they're in. Uh, Spurs are a team that you know like to negotiate the price down, and I just don't think that Everton should be in a in a position to do that, to be honest. So, if another club comes in who can uh, offer the right amount of money for Everton, then I think that's something that's got to be explored and considered by by those at the club. But you know, if if these are these are only reports as things stand, aren't they? In rumours, but if an offer akin to those reports were to come in for Richarlison, then I think Everton should. Should kind of laugh in the face of it and just and, and just move on to be honest. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Bees Adams absolutely spot on in terms of the Everton got a whole firm and stand the ground. But I suppose there is a wider picture. You know, these are reports and, and rumours. But should Everton be braced for offers for a Charles and just think this summer? I think because he was so good last season, he was so imperative and the, the love he wants and the needs he wants for Champions League football, everything needs to be braced for off for, for the star man. Yeah, um, I think there's a there's a begrudging um, acceptance from Evertonians that um, Richarlison or Dominic Calvert Lewin might not be there next season. I'm, I'm sure most hope that it isn't both. And given that Richarlison's the one who has two years left on his contract and Calvert Lewin is free. You think that Richarlison would would be favourite amongst the two to go? I don't. You know, we're not privy to these conversations, but uh, I thought he was bees. Yeah, and Michael Michael Ball um, <laughs> said to me when we were doing the column the other week, um, he was surprised that Richarlison was still at the club. To be honest, and that uh, as much as he's a fan's favourite and the, 
supporters love his wholehearted style and the way he wears his heart in his sleeve when he ever he pulls on that royal blue jersey. Um, but it would it come to a point. You no, know, Everton had just finished sixteenth. He came to the club four years ago with aspirations to lead him in Europe, potentially even perhaps win a trophy with them. It hasn't worked out. That's not Richarlison's fault. He hasn't scored as many goals as we'd have hoped after. I think he got 13 in the Premier League in both of his first seasons and it sort of dropped, I was at seven last year and then he got up to us at 10, he finished on um, this year. But still, like, as Adam has said, the, uh, you know, the biggest match winner in the squad, the most influential player, they're not, they cannot seem to be selling him on for a very negligible profit, which 51.25 million, which is the equivalent of 60 million euros, the quoted price. Um, from Brazil was saying Tottenham may well be interested and I think it could actually be um, sort of a natural fit for him to go play Champions League football for them attack minded but in the same way that Tottenham weren't willing to let Harry Kane go last summer unless the price was right if, if the price had been right Harry Kane would have gone he might have been playing for Manchester City now maybe Erling Haaland would have never ended up at Manchester City price wasn't right they spent all that money on Grealish instead they didn't have the price right for, for Daniel Levy, who we know is, a, as Adam has alluded to, a very shrewd uh, negotiator. And of course, uh, that, why wouldn't you want that at your club? But the price wasn't right, so Kane stayed. So if the price isn't right for Richarlison, and Richarlison um, st stays at Everton, it, it's as simple as that. I mean, you might say, oh, well, I'm being overambitious, but as a benchmark, I would use the Lukaku fee. He's not as good as Lukaku, he's not as prolific as Lukaku, but... That's five years on now with inflation. So I would be starting, if, if Tottenham was starting at 51 or whatever, I'd, I'd be starting to say, well, we want more than what we want got for Lukaku because that was five years ago and that was immediately seen and as they were um, almost undersold. I know there was add-ons as well with that, but um, didn't the, the Mbappe transfer, Neymar came straight after that anyway. So that sort of put that into to perspective. Um be a huge loss for Everton. Um, those four years he's been in the club, as Adam has said, he's developed incredibly. He's a, he's a regular for Brazil now. And the fact that even that the World Cup isn't in the summer this year, that sort of throws a curveball. And that normally you'd have that summer tournament. And if he did well for Brazil, that had that, you know, add onto his, his transfer value. But that's not happening until the winter now. So it's a curious one. I mean, do you risk his contract going down to 18 months? Because there's actually a potential for him to sort of be put in the shop window in, in, in the World Cup finals. So. It, 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 it's it's a tough one, but uh, yes, yeah, certainly. I think Everton should be expecting a significant um, profit on Richarlison if he, if he does go this summer. Gav, for, not for one minute do we want Richarlison to, to leave Everton in the summer. You know, everyone loves loves him, fans, players. You know, Frank Lampard, you can see he's got a lot of love for him as well. But if he was to depart, it's going to be a big ask, isn't it, for Everton to find someone to come and fill his boots because he's not just become a a fan's favourite, but he, he puts his heart and sleeve and he gives 100% every week and without him, you know, he played a massive part in even getting Everton over the line to, to survive relegation. Yeah, I mean, as I'd said, he's a, he's a different player than what he was when he joined the club. He's a, he's a, just improved as a player, but you can see in his attitude, he has a, I've said many times on the pod, you get his, the impression that his mindset is slightly different to basically every other player in the squad, that he thinks differently. Uh, dare I say, he wants it more. And if you're a top club, that's the sort of that's what top players are like, aren't they? And I think 
that's just one thing he's also proved since he joined in 2018, whatever it was. So that makes you think that his value is a lot more than what's being quoted. But it, it's one, one thing to place him on the pitch, but he's a sort of... He's sort of in that Tim Cale, Duncan Ferguson mode now, isn't he? Of relationship with fans and being the fans, you know, talisman and talisman for the team. And that's the other thing you've got to replace, haven't you? So there's two things there for me uh, that I think has been a, a diff, you know, different, you know, a challenge for, for, for Lampard as a manager. Adam, in terms of the transfer window and, and where Everton currently stands in terms of you know transfers and gossip, what are you, are you a little bit surprised the Blues haven't been linked to more players? You, is it played out how you ex- expected to play out? You know, obviously this is the first time we've seen Kevin Farwell and Frank Lampard in action. Mm. Was you expecting maybe a little bit more seeing from the blue side and getting people out? Uh, sort of a, a slower start to the to the to the transfer window because you know at the, at the end of the day i think while there will have been conversations between lampard and thelwell in this sort of sense uh over the last latter stages of the season obviously uh lampard's main aim will have been just keep the side in the premier league so you know he, he will have been no doubt looking at transfer targets but at the end of the day it's 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 hard for everton to have made any sort of early moves in that sense when they don't know what division they're going to be playing in the next season so you know Everton have only been you know, assured of that for the last few weeks so I'm, I'm not really I'm not really surprised to see you know what what amounts to a little bit of a a little bit of a slower start to the transfer window I'm not, I'm not particularly concerned about it you know as long as Thelwell and Lampard have you know keep keep speaking to each other they've got their plan in place yeah I, I, I'm I'm trusting them to just uh to do their jobs and and see the uh, see the transfer window through properly just before we finish, there was some incredibly sad news last week that Billy Bingham, a former Everton player, championship winner and manager, had sadly passed away. Gav was someone who, you know, chronicles the, the history of Everton and is a fountain of all knowledge, should we say. Bingham was, <laughs> Bingham was a one-off. Wasn't oh, isn't, he? That, isn't, that, isn't that a nice way of putting it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bingham was a one-off, wasn't he? A championship winner and a manager, not many do that for, for the Blues. No, no. Howard... Um, famously, but I think he, yeah, Billy Strange, he sort of filled the gap between Harry Catrick and Gordon Lee's early years, which were very fondly remembered. Former player, as you say, I suspect that's why he got the job because his managerial pedigree ran Southport, Plymouth, a couple of clubs in Ireland, Greek national team. So he didn't have any first division experience when he took over. He, he, he liked defensive safety first football. His defence is to be well organised. In the mid-70s, that was a, a really good thing because it was near a defensive football. Brought Bob Latchford to the club. Nearly won the title in 74-75, but in the truth, wasn't good enough. Then um, he fe- fell out with some of the players, some of the squad. And then he fell victim, of things for some of the, the boardroom dysfunction at Everton in, in the mid, mid to late 70s. And he was eventually sacked in in early 1977, when he just being given the money to sign two players, then sack them, which is not necessarily 
something that's happened since in, a, in a January to any decent managers I can think of. It only goes to show that history does have a habit of repeating itself. But yeah, he was. He, he, I think he did the best he could at Everton, but it unfortunately wasn't good enough. And um, as I say, the, the boardroom wasn't great. Afterwards, of course, he, he's mainly remembered in football as, you know, he's one of the great British national team managers getting Northern Ireland to the World Cup twice. Their victory over Hulk Spain in 1982 is still probably the best result by a British country at the World Cup. Got him through to the second round, qualified again in 86. Um, 84 European Championships, they beat West Germany home and away. Northern Ireland, you know, only lost out um, marginally to qualify and beating, going above West Germany in their group. So, yeah, he was his, his tactics are safety first, his, his, his emphasis on physical uh, uh, fitness and all that type of stuff was, well, far more suited to being an underdog at an international level than being an Everton manager. And that's what I'd be remembered for. Uh, but as I say, I always sad that any, hate when an Everton manager leaves the club, but when a manager uh, passes away, I think that's three and 12 months, isn't it? Is is even more sad than I'm afraid. So, yeah, it was sad news, but I'll be Billy was 19. He'd had a long and uh, productive life. Right, gents, we will leave things there, as Phil Kirkbride would say. I think we've chewed the fat enough today. But we will be back. We will be back next week with another episode, unless things develop over the coming days, both in the transfer world and the takeover world, then we will be back to bring you all the latest with that. But if not, we'll be back next week to talk more about Everton Football Club and the goings on at Goodison Park. But for today, thanks to Gav, Adam and Chris for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.